Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You know what my favorite text is? A Waypoint and the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com hunt this spring. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Welcome to the Bear Grease Render. This is a this is a much awaited Bear Grease Render. I have been working on the David Crockett series literally since we got done with Boone. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'll have you know that I was discouraged from working on a Crockett series. Do you have any guesses who discouraged me from working on Crockett? Mm. Steve. Steve Ranella. <laughs> yep. Steve Ranella. He was like, Crockett, come on, Crockett. <laughs> and so that didn't discourage me, though. I continued to work on it. But I have been waiting for – I want to I wanna start off with, with this right here. This book, David Crockett, Lion of the West by Michael Wallace. Mm. In my opinion, from the books that I've read, which I've not read all the Crockett biographies, there are – just almost uncountable I bet. biographies on Crockett for going way back to the 1800s. Mm. But this one is a really good one. It's really in depth, but it also is in the common man's vernacular from a guy who really was passionate about Crockett and is just a reputable historian. And so basically Michael Wallace 
I was waiting on Michael Wallace to be one of the guests on the podcast. And, um, and he, we've corresponded a lot and it was, it was not his fault that he couldn't, he wanted to, but he was unable to be on the podcast, but he kept thinking that he might. And so literally for a year I delayed and Mm. I I have emailed him at least once every three months for a year and a half. Mm. And he, he's been very, very nice, but has not been able to do it. And so finally, I just had to pull the trigger. And I'd already gone to New York to interview Robert Morgan, who's just an expert on anybody. Like any, any American historical figure, you go talk to Robert Morgan, he's the man. Mm-hmm. Robert Morgan also wrote a pretty robust chapter, probably like a 40 or 50-page chapter on Crockett in his book. Uh, his book, I'm pretty sure it's called Lions of the West. Is that one not called Lions? This West? one's called David Crockett, The Lion the, of the West. Okay. Yeah, so his book, Lions of the West, I'm going to have to fact check it. Will somebody look that up? It, 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 gives, it goes book. through all these different historical characters. And uh, it, it goes through Boone and Crockett and Kit Carson and all these guys. And so, But Robert Morgan was incredible. And then R. Scott Williams, I just found out about him just recently. Went over to Tennessee interviewed him so it's long awaited long awaited so i'm i'm pleased to have a very strong group of people here today we're gonna mm. we're gonna switch it up to my right mm. michael roseman sunspot lights are you you've been on here twice haven't you michael twice before yes twice before um michael michael owns sunspot lights the coon lights that mm. you always mm. see me and brent wearing heard mm. by them in the meteor store I hear you're a Crockett expert. Like I told you, Brent thinks I'm a Crockett expert because I know more than he does, but <laughs> that doesn't take much. <laughs> so. You know, I had suspicions that you would be a Crockett guy. Why? I don't know, man. Just look maybe it's face. the way you look in that coonskin hat. Oh, oh yeah, we haven't oh, told man. everyone. We're all wearing legitimate Ozark Mountain dog tree coonskin hats. Supposedly, Every one, of us. one size fits all. Yeah, supposedly. <laughs> yeah, there was a little disagreement on that. Yeah, yeah. The, yours, yours is on your head though. It, barely. Yeah. But you really look like a Crockett expert with that hat on. I, I bet. No. So were you? Uh, what year were you born? Seventy six. Seventy six. Okay. So you're not. You're you're just a few years older than me. Did you watch Crockett growing up? Like the like the Disney shows? Yeah, I seen some of them. Most of it those from reading in the last ten years. Oh, really? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't like you had the lunch boxes no, and the no. guitars and the knives. Guitar. <laughs> you know, I, extra I got large on, size coons kit. <laughs> I got yeah. on eBay and uh, there's a lot of really nice David David Crockett pocket knives, like mm. legitimate vintage pocket knives you could buy for like five bucks that really are from that time. Mm. I mean, you can tell they're just kind of junk. Yeah. But I almost <clears throat> bought a couple, but I, and I probably will. Restart but, uh, the market for that with this podcast. Yeah, I have mm-hmm. I have legitimate plans to revitalize the American raccoon fur trade. Yeah, I was gonna say, be honest, is this just an attempt to get the uh, raccoon numbers down a little bit? This whole podcast just yeah. to get people to wear coonskin caps, <laughs> get them to and, wear the coonskin yeah. caps. Man, hey, I have. Did no- you say who made these earlier? Josh Spillmaker. Okay, yeah. Josh Lambridge Spillmaker made these hats for us. Yeah. So I've introduced Michael Roseman to his right. My good friend, J. Webb, Jonathan Webster. Bonjour. Yeah. So Jonathan, 
Did did Ben? Did you recognize Jonathan's voice? Of course you did. Yeah. On on in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, the I didn't, intro, making I didn't, a fool of myself. I didn't want it. <laughs> I was glad you took his clip and not the clip with me. Yeah. <laughs> oh I, man. You may be on the next oh, one. Oh man. I I didn't want to embarrass the people by telling their names. No. Jonathan Webster was the second. I was the third person ambushed by Clay Newcomb with a recorder asking if I knew anything about Davy Crockett, and every thought in my head, which was not many left me in that very moment. But I literally could not have told you a single thing. It was amazing how much I was just like, I don't know anything about Davy Crockett. <laughs> so It was perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was your target audience. Well, now, you did tell me afterwards that you... Confused first, him. Yeah, you thought... Who would you think he was? With Daniel Boone. Man, oh, see, classic. That's yeah. what I totally. wanted. You know who I wouldn't have used? Is Michael Roseman. Yeah, he was the expert. Yep, Crockett yeah. was a martyr. He was a bear hunter. He was, was a politician. He was at the Alamo. He... Formed American identity on manhood and self-made man. I would have been like, "Get out of here!" No, I totally confused him, and I was. And when I even said like he's a man's man, I was thinking of that song for about Daniel Boone being a big man. Oh, and I was even like confusing was, him at that time. I was confusing him all over. I didn't well, even. Well, but your your thing played right into what I was trying to say, and you saying that he was a man's man. A, brought up the question, did David mm. Crockett inform Americans about manhood? Right. And he absolutely did. Um, you know, in Wallace's book, he talked about how he used his bear hunting identity to bolster this hyper-masculine identity. Yeah. And uh, I love it. Let's go. Yeah. You know? So, now, the, the French. Were you actually speaking French? I mean, a little bit. I took French in high school right up to the <laughs> point where I was about to be able to speak it, and then I... So what did you say to us? I said, I'm sorry, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I could say cheese omelet in French. Go ahead, go ahead. Omelet du fromage. Uh, I'm guessing that's a little Dexter's Laboratory from back in the day, maybe. I don't know what that is. Why do you know know that? Because I heard Steve Martin say it on a comedy album. Say say that again, Brent, what it is? Omelet du fromage. What does that mean? Cheese omelet. Cheese omelet. (laughs) Oh, we've gone international now. (laughs) We're sophisticated. Yeah, that that was perfect. Um, to uh, to your right, Ben Legrone. Ben Ben's been stepping in here recently quite a bit. Old history teacher. Balanced yep. families on Instagram. Balanced birth couple. Holly, I'm it's sorry. All good. Balanced birth couple on Instagram. Yes. Speaking of which, uh, the first time I was on here, <laughs> the, <laughs> the first time I was on here, there was a a bear grease fan that had listened to us to me share the handle and he was like this young guy probably you know early 20s and passionate hunter not married no kids and he was so excited that i was on bear grease he started promoting you know if anybody out there is pregnant check this guy out (laughs) 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 that's funny he was he was getting pumped that's good that's good did you ever teach crockett ben yeah, especially the Alamo. Oh, really? Um, yeah, that that's always kind of mentioned. What, just in American history? Yeah, American history. And, you know, when you came up to me like you did, J-Web asked uh-huh. me, that, I, I fumbled around it. I, realized, I get that all the time as a history teacher. People think, because you're a history teacher, you know everything about yeah. every historical right, topic. Right. I do know a substantial amount, but <laughs> uh, you can't be an expert on every topic ever. Oh. And so you always get stumped with stuff like that, and uh, especially older people will, they'll st- study something really in depth, and did you read such and such and such? And you just kind of nod your head, and you know they think you're an expert because you're a history teacher. 
And your hat. And your hat. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> you know, I find that a lot of these guys that I want to interview, maybe that have even written a book, will, well, for instance, uh, the, the Tecumseh series, um, the, uh, Peter Cozens, who's an incredible author, a, a, a very legitimate historical author. When I first approached him about being on the Tecumseh series, he he kind of was like, "Wow, man, it's been it's been a couple of years since I wrote that book. He oh, wrote it in 2017. Wow. Yeah, and uh, and and you know, you read this book this book, and you're just thinking, man, this guy lives and breathes this. He mm. could he could recite this book in his sleep, and 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 he was wanting to do Tecumseh justice. He was like, man, I I, I wanna I wanna do him justice, and so he actually went back and reread the book. And then came on the podcast, and I find uh, that I find wrote. that he he reread the book he wrote. Yeah, and so yeah, I fi- I find that just the human brain is able to pick up and and remember some things in incredible detail, but typically big ideas about people, and right. that's why you were able to say, well, you were <laughs> guessing on the wrong guy, What's the wrong person, man's man. But most people like like the spillmakers did pretty good. So I interviewed Josh and Christy Spillmaker, who Josh is on here a lot, and they hit they hit King of the Wild Frontier, mm-hmm. the Alamo, Coonskin Hat, Walt Disney song, and that's that, basically his whole life. That yeah, <laughs> and that's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good mm-hmm. pretty good robust little tidbit of information there. But when you start talking about the more specifics of how he actually influenced American culture and identity. Then that's where I wouldn't have been able to answer that really, right. you know, until I'd studied it. But that's when it really gets interesting because what people remember is the high points, but like underneath the surface, the undercurrent is all these things that are there. But, and then our final guest, Brent Reeves. Brent, you look good in a coonskin hat. I, man, I look good in anything. Okay. So I, I asked Brent. Before he listed the podcast, and he he told me he was telling the truth. Um, and this, and I said, make me a recording of what you know about David Crockett. And that's what he said. Let's see what do I know about David Crockett. He was from Tennessee. He was a bear hunter. He was elected to Congress. He was good friends with uh, Uncle Jed from Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, he looked exactly like Daniel Boone, and he died at the Alamo. Some say a hero's death. Some say others. And I don't think those folks are allowed in Texas. And that's about it. That's pretty good. That's pretty thorough. That's pretty, yeah. yep, that was, you, hit, you hit the high points there. Somebody argued with me that he didn't look just exactly like Daniel Boone. He did, as far as I knew as a kid. Walt Disney said he was. Best Parker, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Parker. Best Parker. Now, True story. I did ask my wife about if she knew anything about David Parker. because she's from Texas. Yeah. She said she remembered that he. Uh, they taught that he wrote the Declaration of Independence, and he was the first man to walk on the moon. <laughs> Did she really say that? No, I just made all that okay, up. Okay. But I thought she, she said, might have been joking, though. Well, I, I did, but I said she said that he was very prominent in Texas history. Yeah. Big yeah. deal. Well, see, I asked the guys from the Element, um, who the, the Element guys, uh, Casey Smith and Tyler Jones. Tyler, yeah. And they didn't, they're big Texas guys, but East Texas guys. And they didn't, they were, they were just like, ah. I, I mean, they didn't have like any big cultural hanging point on Crockett. 
Um, <laughs> so, but so, was that funny? Well, I can just see them. I can't see them studying near as hard in school as my wife did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, now those boys are smart. I ain't saying they're not, but I would say that their minds were a little more on hunting and fishing than it was. True story. What's going on at the True Alamo. story. Hey, this is a good reason to bring up their buck truck series mm. oh, that's on, good. on the Meteor channel. So, mm. so the Element, they had their own YouTube channel for years and their own company. They now are inside of the meat eater world. And so they made a series called the Buck Truck, which mm. is where they drove around the country, hunted quite a bit of public land, some private land, and whitetail hunted in, I think, six or seven different states last year. And so they put up their, they've been putting up their videos every, every Tuesday, and we're four or five in probably by the time this comes out. But it's, uh, it's unique because it's a, it's a way different style of video than typically what the meteor audience would be used to. They're longer form. Some of them are like 45 minutes long. Mm. And usually meteor stuff is a lot shorter than that. And, um, yeah, they're a lot of fun. I really like Casey and they're genuine. They're genuine guys. And, it's man, that is that's just how it happens. If you've traveled anywhere and done any kind of hunting, I mean, you know that's just exactly what's yeah. going on. Yeah. And it's, it's a little bit more of the, like, rough cut YouTube-style travel vlog feel mm. as opposed to, I mean, it's well-produced, but as opposed to, you know, some cinematic thing, even though it's good. So anyway, those guys, yeah, they're from Texas. They don't know a thing about Crockett. <laughs> 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 but I did have some people, uh, we're going to get it. Trust me. We're going to get into the stuff on the Alamo. Trust me, boys. It's going to, it's going <laughs> to get good. Um, so, Michael, did you see my video I put on uh, Instagram yesterday? Which one? The catching the coon. Oh no, uh, he showed it. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> I I tagged him in it. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you see how much I get on Instagram. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, I tagged Sunspot Lights. Oh, but, well. but I when I I I caught that coon by hand on the ground. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. out at the farm. Yeah, I talked and to you that. I you did. I I yeah. said it in the video. I mean, I've been around coons my whole life, and I would have never, I would have never thought you could catch one by hand. Oh, I've caught a bunch of them. We used to train puppies like that. Mm-hmm. I'd ride up and down the road, see them in a road ditch, run them down. You give them a little boot, they'll turn around to fight you, and you can catch them by the tail. And then you hold them out the window of the truck when you're going where you're going to where you're going to turn loose. <laughs> that works. That'll do it. That works. <laughs> no, I I saw Michael catch one. I think we've talked about this on the render before but i saw michael jump out of a side by side run down a coon in a field and yeah there's a trick to it you bump them with your foot while they're running so i mean you got to be semi-coordinated to make that happen the coon turns he'll stop when you do that Mm. spin around and then you grab him by the tail and they can't reach around and bite their rear end well they can Okay. But, yeah. <laughs> the flexible <laughs> ones. The, that one you it. caught may not have. <laughs> they can. They can. Yeah. You got to kind of keep them in a, a spinning motion. <laughs> keep them occupied. Yeah. 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 yeah you kind of got to spin them a little bit. Keep them, yeah. Keep them occupied. Kind of like yeah. you're holding a big snapping turtle. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, hey, anything else we should talk about before we start talking about? We, we've kind of just jumped right into Crockett, which is good. I have several things I can always talk about. I've actually had a question I've been dying to ask Brent 
for a very long time. Can I ask it? Yeah, yeah. Just okay. just phrase it up. Just be like, yeah. However, however. You okay. Start. Well, it's pretty arbitrary, so you can cut this out. I have been dying to know the functional benefit of overalls versus just other good durable pant- work pants. Mm. I've been wanting to ask Brent that ever since we've been on the podcast together. Okay. I think it's more style. Style. Okay. <laughs> as well as function. Now, if you listen to This Country Life, I talk about all the stuff that I carry in my pockets. And so, I heard that. I heard that one, and I thought, I don't know if I could quite carry all that stuff as effectively. With like two pockets. In my, so, car, in my hiking cargo pants. To tote all that I stuff, I would either have to carry, I'd either have to wear overalls or a backpack or a purse. <laughs> and overalls was socially more acceptable where I grew up. So yeah, <laughs> is that all you got? That's as deep as the philosophy goes. I can make something up real quick. Well, let me talk, and then yeah, you think you wear you wear overalls too. Well, right? I, I I think the answer primarily I, no, wait is a one of function. I won't know. Was that wrong? Was my answer wrong? It it wasn't wrong. It just was. It didn't have as much function and philosophy as I expected. He was so. missing a Michael, certain je ne sais quoi. What do you think? I feel, I there you go, speaking French. <laughs> the biggest reason is so he doesn't wind up like that guy that we seen on the way up here who seriously needed a belt. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. the biggest function well, of a pair okay, of overalls. What I, what I was going to say was that a pair of overalls, it takes the, 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 the pressure off of your waist. Okay. And it puts it on your shoulders. And so when you wear pants and when you wear a belt, you're constantly pulling your pants up, mm-hmm. tightening your belt. And it just it, it like there's this pressure around your waist. When you wear a pair of overalls, it's like you're wearing a robe. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like now the, you've the, sold the, me. The energy, <laughs> no the, one the, said the energy, the weight is on your shoulders, and it's like a shower curtain going all the way down to your boots. And so it's more comfortable. And you can Brent typically wears one button undone on top. Yeah, he'll button he'll button. So there's two two buttons on both sides right at the hip. And and you can you know if you're if you're kind of feeling informal, you're around family and friends, you run them two down, you get a little more airflow. That's two hot, downs so, too much. That's hard. That's hot. <laughs> two summertime. downs a lot. Yep. <laughs> two downs a lot. Because but but if you're a little bit more of a little bit more formal gathering, Brent's gonna be running one button. Yeah. If we went to say the steakhouse, he'd probably run two up. <laughs> Doubtful. Doubtful, but but possible. But I just they're comfortable. And I've grown I've been wearing them since I was a little kid. I got pictures of me when I was, you know, three years old wearing overalls and it wasn't just it wasn't them Oshkoshies or whatever youngins wear. It was regular overalls and I've been I wore them in high school hmm. all the way. I've been wearing them forever. It also what I like about them is uh when you're working, and I don't wear them as casually as Brent does, but I wear them when I work and used to wear them a lot when I landscaped. Is just this frontal protection, this mm-hmm. one piece. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're really working a lot, stuff gets down in your pants, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, just like wood chips or grass or whatever, you know? And uh, overalls mm. kind of keep that from happening. Mm. You're selling me. I might have to try. Yeah. They need, they need, y'all need a Brent Reeves line Ooh. overalls. Marketed as the, uh, the shower robe of the outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Uh, Brent needs uh, a pair of overalls with a flip-up coonskin hat oh, that's connected man. to the back. Yeah. 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 Like a hoodie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of classy. That's Kinda a good hood. question. Uh, any other questions for Brent or anyone else? Pyramids. 
Pyramids? Pyramid schemes. What <laughs> scheme? How can I get in? And he's gonna yeah, he's, he's gonna have you invest in this overall business. <laughs>As a parent, nothing keeps me up at night more than the idea of something happening to my children. But if something happens to me and I'm not around to protect them, that's a true nightmare. Having term life insurance for myself is crucial because I can rest easier knowing my children and loved ones can have some financial support even if I'm not there. That's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. Having life insurance just gives me that extra confidence Throughout the day, knowing that my family will be financially cared for if something bad happened to me. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You can be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash bear. That's meetfabric.com slash bear. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. So I had a lot of a uh, lot of interest in uh, the mule trainer that Banjo's at. Yeah, 
I had a lot of people writing in from oh. multiple, well, from more than one state, trying to trying to get hooked up with my mule trainer. What do you think I told them? None your business. I gave him his number a couple times, <laughs> but only after I was really convinced the guy was serious. Yeah. Do you get a like, referral commission? I I wish, <laughs> I wish, maybe we'll see. I guess. Um, no, Banjo's got a couple more couple more weeks at the trainer. Have you been over there? Well, I mean, I just took him over there. I mean, you ain't been back. No, no, it's it's pretty good trip over there. Now, Banjo's the one you thought was going to kill you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Hence yeah. the need for the trainer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But was, when I brought up Banjo, I had a guy say, "What happened to Hoot?" So Hoot was the dog, was the young plot hound that I had that I was training that I hunted a fair bit last fall. Brent hunted him some. Michael hunted with her a little bit. And uh, and somebody said, we heard about Banjo. What happened to Hoot? And I think this is a great time to tell the world that like, like Crockett brought in to help usher into American identity that you get what you get by merit. Mm. Hoot didn't make it. <laughs> oh. Now, Hoot's alive. We didn't like take Man, her out. That was a pregnant pause. Right <laughs> no, I, uh, I felt like I gave, I gave Hoot a, a, a good chance. I left her with a guy that hunted. All, man, used to, I would have never done this, but I, I'm traveling and I, I, I had a guy hunter for me for f- about 45 days. And he hunted her probably 12 to 15 times up here in the mountains. I sent her down with Brent. How long did y'all have her, Michael and Brent? Mm, month, about a month. About a little over a month. Did. No, you yeah. didn't. You yeah. only hunted her like three times. Though. Yeah, but no, no. You said how long did we have her? We had her a little over a month. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, but y'all didn't hunt her that much? No. No, because of water and yeah, yeah. We were flooded. all the stuff that was going on. Yeah. And, and, and then I hunted her quite a bit, and she just she just never... She didn't. She didn't hunt hard enough for me. She was almost two years old and, and just wasn't making it happen. And so I considered buying a dog from Michael. But um, and it was a good one. You still have Rocker? Yeah, hunted for last sale? night. No, he's not for sale. No, not unless you want him. <laughs> <laughs> Did, have you I told hunted you Rocker? Was, yeah, yeah, he's been hunting. Rocker hunted him last night. So if it gets out that I was hunting a Walker. My 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 Your career is over because you got to you got to do the plot hounds right. I mean, I don't have to. It's just <laughs> I'm going to give you a piece of advice, same piece of advice that I gave Brent about dogs. I get a dog that I like every between six to eight years. This is so sad. Six, <laughs> six to eight, about every six to eight years, I find one to replace what I'm currently hunting. So, in the meantime. We try a lot of puppies, a lot of young dogs, and, and we go through them, and they get home somewhere else because they're just not going to make for what I want, just like what happened with you with Hoot. But my piece of advice is go buy one that's doing what it's doing because I told you, seven to eight years. I asked Brent. I said, Brent, how old are you? How old are you, Brent? 57. 57. Mm-hmm. I said, man, you only got two or three dogs left. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of aggravation. <laughs> he, said, he said, I'd never thought of it like that. He said, I wish you wouldn't even called me. <laughs> but it's true. You don't have that many dogs left. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I, I got a few more than Brent. <laughs> you, a few more, one or two. <laughs> True story. I mean, they, they, when you start counting in in fives and tens, it goes by pretty quick. Yeah, it makes sense to invest in. Yeah. Good start well, okay. Now here, here's what you got to talk me down from, and I'm open to people from outside the coon hunting community chiming in, Ben and Jonathan, which both of y'all have coon hunted with me. Yeah, you've coon hunted with me, hadn't you, Ben? Yes, and long technic- time ago. And technically, I was a coon dog owner as a child. Yeah, black it, and tan. It didn't work out. That's yeah. a whole nother long but, story. So here's my problem: is that I, I, it's hard for me to to take a dog from somebody else that I just bought. I, I mean, because it it's almost and now I'll make a case against it, and then I'll probably go and maybe do it. But it's almost like does uh, it feel like cheating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you didn't you didn't you didn't raise, raise the it, dog, you didn't train, train it. it, and it find just, that right one. I've, yeah, I've been through these stages where mm-hmm. you're at. Yep. I used to if I didn't raise it, I didn't want it. I went through a phase where if it wasn't out of my dogs that I owned, yep, that I didn't yep. care anything I'm about it. Too. And I'm to the point now that if it'll do what I want it to do, I don't have but four or five left. Mm-hmm. So I need to get what I can get. Yeah. How many in your experience, Michael? How many? What's like the percentage of like good coon dogs that you try out that actually work out? Is it like ten percent or less, or? Fifty percent or less actually turn good out question. to be good. Well, and he's not trying out just average run of the mill dog. I mean, sure. Michael is like a very, very serious coon. Dog. Now, there's a difference in a dog that'll run and tree a coon and a coon dog. Okay, that's the first. So, as far as dogs that will tree coons, maybe. I mean, just you can turn it loose, hunt it enough, it'll tree a coon. Maybe fifty percent. Okay, the kind that I'm looking for, one percent. One percent. Yeah, here's the difference because what he ain't saying that I know to be a fact is he's got a dog right now, and any dog that I, he's ever had that I've hunted with, and when that when he says that dog has started and going good, and you know maybe not finished yet, but a dog that he can turn loose, and it will leave there in a cloud of dust, and trail and tree a coon in ten minutes. When we get when we get to the tree, look at the coon. He turns him loose. To go tree another, he looks at me and, and says, "He should have done that in eight minutes." <laughs> I am a little picky. He ain't little picky. He's a lot picky. Clay, would you have that same level of pickiness? Because if he's saying, no. if he's Absolutely. saying one percent, I mean, you gotta me, go through a hundred dogs. It, yeah, I mean, Michael and I would be a different. I mean, I'm just not as a, a serious. I mean, Michael's business and his life has been dedicated to coon hunting. I am a recreational coon hunter. Uh, I love a good dog, and I appreciate a good dog when I'm with one. And I feel like I've owned one good dog, and uh, and I so I would I would be happy with less than what Michael would probably. Um, but I have been trying. So my dog Fern died in December. She was eight years old. Died a little prematurely. I think I probably had a couple more winters with her, and she died a little prematurely. And I'd been trying to replace her with dogs from the line that she was out of for about five years and couldn't quite make it happen. Though, Michael, I may have made him. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a mistake, but I I gave uh, Straight Cedillo mm-hmm. out in New Mexico a dog that I had started on Coon that was doing good, and I just kind of thought she we hunted with Straight out there, and I just thought she yep. would do good for him. And I was feeling generous, and I wanted to see how one of my dogs would do on lions out there in the West. 
And so I told Straight if he'd drive to Arkansas and get her, I'd give him to him. To him. I think she was 11 months old. So he literally drove straight from New Mexico here, got the dog, turned around, drove straight back, and is hunting Opie to this day. Mm. And, and doing good. Yeah, yeah. He says she's a real line dog. She probably would have been a dog that I'd have been happy with if I'd have kept her and hunted her and whatnot. But I've been through at least four or five dogs that didn't work out. Right. But well, even Rocker. You liked Rocker. Mm-hmm. He did good. The first night we cut him loose, he treated three, just bam, bam, bam. I looked at Clay, and I said, now look, he is not this good. <laughs> That's what I told him. I said, I know he looks like it, but I'm, I'm telling you, he is not this good. And and he showed more kind of he, – he messed up in the next few nights. But he is a really nice dog. Uh, but he's still not what I would hunt. Yeah. Even at that. Yeah. So. Well – I'm I'm in the market for a dog. I just got to have a dog by this winter, you know. I, and I and I do have a coon dog. I got Jed right right back out there, and Jed on a good night would go tree a coon for us. But he's he's not a coon dog. He was sure a coon dog when he was with Fern though. Yeah, mm. Mm. a lot <laughs> of them are like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's called God a me too dog. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, all right, David Crockett, Jonathan, what? So you, we know where you started. Where you told us <laughs> in the France. before and after. Yeah, right what, now. what most stood out to you in the, this episode one? And man, hey, there are three more episodes. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'll go ahead and tell you. We've never done a four part series on anybody. We've always done. We've done. We've been successful at running these three part series. This one's gonna be four. Are you gonna? Pace it after what Robert Morgan said. The bear hunter, the politician. The, are you gonna you pace it after? It. Okay, you That's what nailed I figured. It. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Man, him as a bear hunter was was pretty impressive. Like, I kind of get why people back east would have been impressed just hearing that segment that you read from his autobiography. I mean, not only did the man survive, like, three instances in, like, a weekend that would have been, like, life-defining for me, but he did, even the various clips that you said, he just had a way of talking that I don't, yeah. I don't know. It's... When you read these things, it, it's kind of easy to think that everybody back in that time would have talked that way, thought that way. Right. But I think what you're keying in on, and one of the reasons he was such an archetype, was that maybe he, not everybody was talking that way. Not everybody yeah. was describing themselves that way, acting yeah. that way. But, man, his what you described of him as a bear hunter was, was pretty impressive. Yeah. I do what, have a... Go ahead. Well, go I have ahead. a question about his bear hunting. So the, you, you read that section... And he said he killed 105 bears in a year. Is that what? What is? What do you guys think about that from like a conservation standpoint? Now, obviously, it's totally different 200 years ago. But would that have been well, excessive? I mean, do the, you think the, for 200 years ago? Those guys are the reason we have game laws today. Mm-hmm. I mean, the market hunting era of the U.S. was a wanton, a wanton waste of wild. I mean, that, that's probably the wrong way to describe it. It, it was a excessive. unsustainable use of wildlife right and so the pendulum swung the pendulum when when those guys first got here was that this is an unexhaustible resource that will never go away Mm. so we can do whatever we want no rules and regulations they were market hunting these bears crockett was making money he was incentivized financially to go and kill as many bears as he could along with thousands of other people yeah and and honestly Crockett killed 105 bears in a year really wasn't that big a deal. I mean, I there are people in the country today who have dogs that they don't all, they don't kill that many, 
but they tree way more than that sometimes in a year, like groups of people, wow. like a like a in, in traveling to different states. Um, so absolutely, but the but the way I like to think about it is that the the wanton disregard of 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 the sustainability of this thing produced the most robust wildlife management system in the history of mankind. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Fascinating. Fascinating yeah. man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's those stories about Boone and Crockett that have fueled, and I'm going to call it sport hunting, even though I don't like that term. Those stories, those guys, those archetypes, those icons have fueled the American sport hunting culture because we all want to be like those guys. Mm. I mean, we do. I mean, like, I, I, I just love hearing these stories about Crockett and and, you know, we go out and kill a couple of bears a year, maybe. And, and it's, like, incredible. Tapping and, and, into and that. We, we, we eat the meat and render the fat. And, and these guys were killing hundreds a year. And it's just just wild. Yeah. Do you like bear meat better than deer meat? Absolutely. Me too. I do not. But I do like it. Yeah. But I don't like it. You have never, if you, I fed bear meat last night to a family. Um, that's not from here and not introduced at all to wild game. And every one of the kids ate it and loved it. Bear meat doesn't have a wild taste. You can screw it up, and I don't know how people do. They probably leave a bear in their what truck I ate for a did, long time. didn't have a wild taste at all. Well, what was I, wrong I with just, it? I just like the texture and the taste of deer meat better. Really? But I've ate deer meat all my life. Yeah. So that may have something to do with it. But I was wondering, you know, so they they seem to like bear meat better than deer meat. Do you think they liked bear hunting better than deer hunting because of the dogs? Mm. And the I danger mean, element? Maybe question, just like today. I mean, there'd be I mean. people that, that, I mean, they were market hunting for deer as well and making big money off of selling the, the skins. The I'm sure it would be, there would be people that didn't like bear hunting with hounds back then because of the work and taking care of the dog. All the same reasons that somebody might like not like hound hunting today just for the technicalities of mm-hmm. the sport. They might like deer hunting better. I think so. I mean, Crockett, there were it. It's known who loved the bear hunting with hounds because usually that was the thing they were most excited about, and Crockett clearly was. Even though there's lots of lots of stories of Crockett killing big bucks, um, Crockett Crockett uh, once in a well in his autobiography he tells that at his house he has on one side of the room the rack of a giant buck and on the other side the paws of a bear. In his really? house, yeah. I mean, so he was a big deer. I wonder hunter. how commonplace that was back then of keeping antlers as trophies and stuff like. Yeah, that. it certainly wasn't as common as it is today. I mean, no. like pretty much any buck we kill today, keeping the horns. Yeah, I think those guys kept horns if they were in a place where they could get them back to their house easily, or a spectacular set of horns. Right, like Gerstocker when he was in Arkansas would have killed an incredible amount of deer in seven years. And one time, once or twice in his book, he talked about the size of a buck. Now, right. he didn't have the Boone and Crockett measurement. He didn't have a way to say it was a 150-inch buck or his tines were long. or like they, The way they described deer was just very rudimentary, a giant stag. You know, Now we have these technical ways that we describe antlers. But um, I'm amazed, though, too, even today – like uh, Louis Dell and Charlie, 
we did this genuine outlaw series on Louis Dale and Charlie. Both these guys are passed away. These guys from Arkansas. I asked Stoney, uh, their sons. I said, do you, do you have any of the horns from the bucks your dad and uncles killed? And he looked at me and was just like, no. <laughs> and I said, really? And he said, well, there's one they had mounted. And I said, what about all the other deer? And he said, oh, they gave horns away. He said the last last couple of years, his dad killed or his uncle killed a big buck at deer camp. I mean, a big buck at deer camp. And he said, we skinned it out, and dad gave the horns to one of the boys. Yeah. I mean, well, they just didn't care. They, you have were, these deer up here on your wall. Why do you have them? I mean, in, in your thought process, what do you keep antlers for? I mean, I I would I'm a I'm a product of the the modern whitetail hunting world. I mean, to me, a whitetail antler is an ex- a thing of extreme beauty, and the, it's like a unique art form of nature that is each one is unique. There's not another one like it. I think they uh, the size of a buck represents oftentimes the maturity of that animal and the difficulty to kill that animal but i think it's art man they're just memories for me mm-hmm. now we're human beings are mem- there were memory collectors that after this moment all we had of the previous moment was memories and those are memory reminders yeah that's what they are for me i can look mm-hmm. up there and i could say i remember that day i remember what happened I remember other than that, they don't hold a place for me, but, mm-hmm. but they are memory reminders. Or what the- well, let me ask you this, Mr. Coon Hunter. Have you got a mounted coon in your house? I do, and it was bought at Bass Pro. <laughs> <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. Well, I, what do you mean? You couldn't buy a real coon, mounted coon I don't care anything about a coon. I, I could never, I could treat possums. I don't care. It's all okay. about the dog. Yeah, wait a well, minute. Did you see my? So, wait a minute. Stop. <laughs> Tree possums. Yeah. And not care is what he said. Yeah. yeah. No. You'd, if there were no coons, you'd sell I could possum. Hey, Brent, look up above your head. You oh, see yeah. that coon? Yeah. Yeah. That coon. Um, okay. When I killed that coon, I've got a mounted coon right up there, Michael. When I killed that coon, I we had been hunting hard for five years and shooting every coon that we treed. And when we killed it. I told my son, I said, that is the biggest coon I have seen in this five-year block, like without a doubt. I'd only remembered one that I felt like was bigger that we killed 10 years ago when I was hunting with another guy. I went to my neighbor's certified scale. He has a certified livestock scale. And again, this coon was so big that I was like, boys, 100%. 100%. This is the biggest coon we have killed in five years of hunting. What do you think that coon weighed? I don't know. I, this I mean, up here. You, don't, you don't even need to see yeah. it. Just like It's a mountain coon? Yeah. 20 pounds. 20 pounds, okay. Yeah. Biggest coon in five years? 14. 14. That's, is, that's the one? That's it. That's him. Oh, man. Yeah, I would say like around 15. Yeah. 15? 15. 2280, Bob. <laughs> One dollar. I thought you were going to speak. I, I thought you were going to speak French. <laughs> that coon weighed eighteen and a half pounds. Okay, eighteen and a half pounds. Wow. And and most of them are weighing, you know, in the twelve, twelve bigger one, fourteen, yeah, fifteen. Up north right. they get big. Yeah. Now, oh the, yeah. Oh, the yeah. biggest one I ever killed was the second coon we ever killed. He was thirty pounds. Whoa. In Arkansas? In, in Arkansas, but down that's in the, in, the, in the Delta. Yeah, yeah which and is very that's huge for down there, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, a, a 10, 15-pound coon, a great big coon down there. He was just yeah. abnormally large. It was second coon we ever treat. 
I'll wow. be done. Hey, maybe this is, uh, I don't know, it's been a long time since I thought about Opie. You know what dog struck that coon? Opie. Opie did? She well. sure did. That was the first time I thought she might have some potential because I turned her out by herself and she went up in this holla and struck a coon. And she was working it, and I could tell she couldn't quite figure it out, so I turned Fern loose right behind her. Or, you know, like 10 minutes later. And they went in there and treated it. So she, she was young, though, but they treated that coon. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Another question about coming yes. back to David Crockett. Yes. Do you think he was an exceptional bear hunter, or do you think that it was, like, do you think that he was a bear hunter just like other bear hunters would have been at that time, and there was something about his personality that made him really stand out? Like his self-promotion or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was, I think he was a top-end bear hunter. Okay. Like, I don't think there were many guys that were better than him. I don't think he would have been, like, the best in the country at that time. I mean, he he was good. He was just known. Huh. You know, he was just known. Something about that story where he said his friend, when he went to go get him back, and he said that he wouldn't have chased that bear in there. I didn't know if he, that meant he was just taking more risks and just kind of, yeah. just kind of yeah, a yeah. wild man. Or? That was a good catch because yeah. I, I, it was hard to catch what he was saying. But, yeah, he was saying, man, I wouldn't even gone after that bear like you did. Huh. I'm not, I think he was really good, but I think there were other guys that were just as good. That Man. that you just didn't just, hear about. So the, didn't hear about. the way he was bear hunting with dogs, though, I mean, how good a bear hunter he was, most would have depended on how good his dogs were too. Mm. I mean, they were tree and coons. He wasn't still hunting them. Or he may have well, been still, also. See, those guys though, back then without GPS collars, it oh, was yeah. an athletic event. Oh yeah, for sure. They to, kept because up you with had them. to stay with the dogs and be with them, be within hearing distance. Going to these dogs late at night, spending the night out in the woods. I mean, it was like a ne- trying to triathlon. Trying know. to kneecap a, a bear when you get right next to him. And, <laughs> oh, and that, was, to, that was that was a pretty intense. good descriptor in the yeah. dark feeling, feeling of that bear being bayed by. Me and Michael was listening to it again on the way up here today, and I said, "Well, I'm, when he he was talking about." He, he he fell down and started his behind. I said, "Well, he started on the right end." Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Can you yeah. imagine? Now, obviously, yeah. he was in the the earthquake area. What was he calling the hurricane? Oh, that is a good question. Yeah. And and I I don't have a great answer. I had a guy text me today and said, "What is a hurricane?" I'm and gonna they, assume it was tornado damage. That's what I said. Really? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Do you have any any more? I mean, no, no. That, I just assumed that obviously there wasn't a hurricane in in Tennessee, yeah. and I don't know what they called them back then, but it would have probably been tornado damage, which would have been great for bear because it would have been exposed yep. to the sun. It would have had berries. It would have had. Yep, that's exactly what I said. Because just think about the eastern deciduous forest being just this one big blanket, pretty much of a of a big forest, and uh, like I know for a fact the the hurricane creek drainage that's within about that's in the Ozarks mm-hmm. one of them yep that Gerstocker talked about he said that they called it the hurricane because of a hurricane that came through and went yeah. through the wow. valley and they, they called them hurricanes it was a tornado huh. and then that would create essentially like a clear cut uh-huh. right it would knock all the trees down then the underbrush would start to grow up, secondary trees, grapevines, berries, blackberries. Just a big thicket. And so if you're if you're in a ancient primeval forest that's never been cut before, that would be like big hardwood and pine timber. Like over in over the well, 
over in that country would be a little different, but basically big hardwood forest, which would have expansive canopy and not a lot of understory, mm-hmm. which would not be that great for wildlife. Where there was disturbance like a tornado would be incredible for wildlife. Mm. So that's where they went. Yeah. Well, that's a great, that's a good, that's a good question. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about family finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning. We have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me. It just gives me security in knowing that if anything happened to me, my family would remain financially stable in my absence. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You can be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash bear. That's meetfabric.com slash bear. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off 
Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. Ben, what stood out to you? Off the top of your coon. Well, <laughs> a couple We're things. We're still wearing our coonskin hats. It's comfy. I like it. it. Uh, a couple things. Number one, when you're talking about memories, uh, I was immediately transported to one of the oldest things I kept from childhood, which was my coonskin cat that I got at Disney World. Oh, really? I was five years old. No oh, way. Wow. Yeah, yeah. In that would have been yeah. what, what year? Would have Frontierland. Uh, been at five years old, so early nineties. Um, mm. and <laughs> youngster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that trip, I don't remember a ton about that trip except for it's a small world because of its possessive power over the human mind. <laughs> Being terrified oh, of the haunted mansion. Oh man! And getting that coonskin cat. Wow. And I remember my dad buying it and handing it to me be like that's a davy crockett hat yeah and as a youngster being like crowned with this <laughs> and this superpower but i didn't know much about him you know right and so one of my one of the things i've been pondering about since yesterday i listened to it was like i understand why he was significant in a celebrity status back then and just knowing the context and the lack of media and the, like in the 1800s and, in yeah his yeah lifetime. yeah like if you get published with anything yeah. i mean that is like right the internet for people it wasn't like a, everybody had a whole lot to choose from yeah exactly read. yeah and you know bear hunting is is an exciting those are exciting stories uh because of some of the danger involved and stuff but anyway um the question in my mind is like, why do we? Why? Why does he yeah. impress himself so much on us? Yeah. And I, I, my conclusion is that it's because he was introduced in our childhood, and right. anything introduced in your childhood imprints on you differently than an, as an adult. Like if somebody came to me now and told me about the same guy that I'd never heard of, it's gonna be oh, that's cool. And one example is like sports. You know, I, I um. When you follow sports guys now as an adult, you're like, yeah, they're they're really good. It's cool. You're excited, especially if they're on the team that you like. Mm-hmm. But the sports guys I follow when I was a kid, oh, yeah. I worship like heroes. Man. Yeah, yeah, like Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith. I was a big Cowboys fan. <laughs> I saw those guys in person. I mean, it was like I remember writing a letter to Emmett Smith. <laughs> oh, wow. and yeah, yeah, and I, and I found it later. Unmailed by my parents. <laughs> but uh yeah. Plus one on the coon hat, minus one Man, on the got, Smith letter. I parents. got behind him on the uh JFK. Ain't that what goes around Dallas? The interstate part. Really? And and it was I remember the license plate said catch twenty two. Hmm. I thought, well that's kind of weird. As we drove I was riding my brother, I was driving by and he had, it was a Mercedes and his windows rolled down and there was Emmett Smith. Sure I thought, enough. Oh, twenty two, that was his football. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. I should I should have asked him, man, did you did ever you, get that letter? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a funny letter because back as a kid I thought when you really like something, you always use the word love. So yeah. the whole letter is me saying, I love you, man. I love you so much. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Now, now I know why your parents didn't smell. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so but anyway, that was what I was thinking about. I was like because I was introduced to this figure as a young kid, it's like such well, a Well, that's deal. who Disney targeted in the nineteen exactly. fifties. Yeah. They didn't target the dads. They targeted the kids and sold them a bunch of stuff. Brilliant marketing. Like we, we, we the, the America came back from World War II and had all this ability to produce 
trinkets and people had extra money and there was all this manufacturing and plastic and all this stuff and it 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 created this Baby. merchandising frenzy over Crockett mm-hmm. which imprinted the nation and then we inherited it you know I'm 10 years older than you or something Ben and uh we we kind of inherited Crockett and I I remember the Crockett song vividly I mean I could have told you all the high points of Davy Crockett and that he was like a bad to the bone dude and a hunter coonskin hat just liked him like mm-hmm. when I see when I see Fess Parker's picture wearing buckskins and carrying a long rifle, it just I just like it. Like I just I mean, I would have even pre researching him. Mm-hmm. It's just like ingrained in us. And that's that's what's so interesting to me. It's like why does my brother was the one who sang the the Davy Ballad of Davy Crockett. Zach Newcomb. Oh, it was yeah. Zach. That was Zach. Zach. <laughs> and it's like Zach's not a big hunter. He he did kill a nice buck last year. Um, two years ago. But you know, like, why does Zach Newcomb remember the Davy Crockett song? Yeah. I mean, how many how many songs from nineteen the nineteen fifties could he just sing with a with a single cue of one word? Right. Crockett, right. go Davy, yeah. Davy Crockett. Probably not many. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how? Why? It is kind Child, of a mystery. It's your childhood. It's yeah. where you're at, Devena Melanie. How you grab a hold of things. But I think it's more complex than that, though. Be, I mean, that's definitely major component. But also think it's because there's something to grab on to mm-hmm. that goes back to this American identity of when we were first America. And I mean, even if you're patriotic, you're not patriotic, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying uh, the fact that he was, he did something to the culture that was big. And what we're going to learn in episode two is that Crockett influenced a bunch of people. Crockett influenced Lincoln. Crockett mm. influenced Mark Twain. Mm. Crockett influenced American culture. Mm. Like, bam. And so when we hear him, it's like our blood. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it just like, and, and obviously to some people more than others, I'm interested in rural America and hunting. And so, I mean, you know, Crockett's going to mean something. It, it was really, you know, I didn't see, it was reruns when I was a kid. I was born in 66, so. And what, when did that Walt Disney 55? stuff? 55. Yeah, okay. So it was, it were reruns that when Walt, Wide World of Disney or whatever it was, that, that came on on Sunday evenings, and we was always wanting, oh, man, I hope it's David Crockett. I hope it's Daniel Boone. You mean you couldn't fast forward and record? No, believe it or not. You actually had to be there You had to be there on NBC, on Channel 4. But when when that would come on, it was immediately we we were engaged in it because he was doing stuff that we knew about. You know, we could watch Escape from Witch Mountain or all the other s- stories and movies that you know, Herpy and Doctor, the professor, the Nutty Professor, or whatever, and he's making tennis shoes that you can jump over and we shoot a basketball. <laughs> can shoot a basketball. All of these Disney movies that were just so far fetched from anything that I'd ever seen before. Mm-hmm. But somebody walking out of the house with a rifle in their hand and and dragging a deer back, yeah. Oh yeah, I. Not only do I know that I've done that, or I watched my dad do it, or yeah, and it was something that immediately that you could, you could grab onto that you know this he's like us, yeah. And like we're a, like and we're like him, like a reality show, yeah, for <laughs> real. I mean, it was just like he's filming Uncle Charles there, you know, yeah. or something. So, what was your favorite part? What stood out to you, Brent? In this part, 
or in this in this edition, I guess, episode. The part where knowing I didn't know he that he wrote his own book. I didn't know that. Right. So and I've uh, I've actually ordered it from Amazon, and I'll be, yep, that's the one. And I'm titled I, David Crockett, not Davy. Yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> David Crockett. So I'm I'm anxious to read that. And out of all the stuff you know, I've been familiar with in my whole life since I was six or seven, you know, and remember that kind of stuff. And I'm I'm today years old. Actually, Wednesday when that came out, that I learned that he wrote his own autobiography. Yeah. So I'm I, I'm looking I feel like to that. Michael, I'm going to be coming back to you in just a second to ask you what was your favorite part or what you learned. I think I think the Cro- the Crockett autobiography in a way did him disservice, mm. and I think you'll see it if if you read it. When I first read it, don't spoil it. Yeah, I I will. I will taint. I will put my thoughts on top of you. But that's kind of what we do on this podcast. You can. You want to step out? Just step out. I try to dodge anything he puts towards me. Anyway, no, Crockett. This was a political rebuttal. Mm. This was a political rebuttal. He was. He was being. And we're going to learn all this in episode three about his political career. But basically. They thought he was the only guy that could beat Andrew Jackson, and so this this group, this political group, the Whigs, were trying to were, were courting him to uh, for presidential run, which is wild. Like it would it would be almost equivalent to like a Donald Trump running for president. It's just this this like wild so far guy. out of the system. Yeah, yeah, even though he was in politics, but it was just like just like wow, really? Yeah, and. But, those two were enemies also. Jackson. Jackson and, and For yeah, sure. Yeah, they didn't like each other at all. Hadn't liked each other from way back. Yep. Yep. Mm. And so this book is not if I was his editor, I would have been like, Hey dude, we gotta cut all the the last fortune you know, you would have it, it about half of it's really about his life and the other half is kind of political retribution in a way, kind of talking about and so, he he, it's it's, in some ways it's incredible that we have this book because we actually get to hear the voice of Crockett through his words, which we didn't have for Boone. Did, did I talk about that? Yeah, on this yeah, episode? yeah, yeah. 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 So that that was one of the things that was kind of mysterious about Boone is we never heard his actual voice. There was a chapter that was supposedly written by him in his voice in Filson's book, but it wasn't Boone at all. Like Filson wrote it. In in Boone's voice, yeah, because his son said that wasn't the words of his father. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Mm. And and uh, this is faux show the words of David Crockett. And so, like when he tells bear hunting stories, when he talks about his childhood, and he talks, he does talk a lot about a very personal stuff, which is incredible. But um, anyway, you you kind of I make a lot of excuses for Crockett, uh, trying to prove that he's cool. So that Steve Rinello will like him, um, <laughs> saying that if he'd have had a good editor, he wouldn't have had this problem because the editor would have been like, "Hey, you can't, you can't talk about yourself like that." And Crockett would have been like, "No problem, I won't." So anyway, you also got to remember the time it was consider everything that was the time that it was in. You know, right? The way we think now about things is far different from what they thought yeah. about stuff. Hmm. Yeah. So I think he gets a pass on that. On a lot of that, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Just mm-hmm. because of the world he was in. You could see how it would eat at you too as a person in politics, not ever getting to feel like the whole truth's out yeah. your side of it. And then you pass events that that happened. You want to get your beef out, yeah. you know? It yeah. ain't like now when everything you ever have ever said <laughs> can come out. I mean, that dude, I, what a very minute percentage of his thoughts and ideas were probably got out. Yeah. Well, and yet we got whipped. Whip my weight and wildcats out of him. So, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But him speaking about politics in that book was something that had to have driven him quite a bit there in the last part of his life because politics is what ended him up at the Alamo. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. him losing those yep. elections is why or he'd have still been in Tennessee or in Congress or something. So that that's a huge part of his life yeah. that he wants to set the record straight on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to blame him for it because mm-hmm. they they had written multiple fake autobiographies, which at the time there was nothing people could do. People people would, I mean, there was no retribution, and there was well, no way to know it was going to happen, or it, they didn't even know who wrote them. Like yeah. it was just like David Crockett. I thought it was funny that when uh, the guy you talked to, I'm trying to remember his name, he said Scott Williams. Yeah, R. Scott Williams. When he, <laughs> he said his. He got interested in that name, image, and likeness stuff, and I thought, wow, you know, that was a thing even back then. Yeah. So that's pretty, well, and that wild. that was a, it's a, it's it's kind of splitting hairs a little bit because when we talked about Boone, we talked about how Boone was an American archetype, and he was one of the the first folk heroes of America, mm-hmm. and Boone rose to global fame in his lifetime. Crockett did the same thing, but there's some hair-splitting difference in what happened with him. Boone, and again, we said this on the podcast, but Boone didn't become famous until he was in his mid-50s. And all the stuff he did that made him famous, he did not knowing anyone would ever know about it. Right. And that's why Steve says that Boone should not even be on the same page as Crockett, because that's cool. Like, I mean, you want your hero to be doing what he's doing not because somebody's going to put him on Instagram. Right. right. Not because somebody's going to write a book about him. Not because that, somebody's going to say he's cool. Is that is that Steve Ranella's beef with Crockett that he was inter- interacting with his own fame? Steve know jack about Crockett. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to after he listens to this. Stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. That that It was the celebrity status that yes, he doesn't yes. like. And it's the same thing that I am working through with Crockett. Like, I'm really trying to understand it because – Boone didn't become famous until mid-50s, and Boone did stuff to try to capitalize on that fame to some degree. But he was already, but, but he just wasn't in control of it as much. And Boone dies, an impoverished man. If you remember, when Boone died, the last guy, the, the only real portrait that we have of Boone was painted of him when he was in his like late 70s, maybe even early 80s, right before he died. And a painter went from the northeast down into Missouri. Like there was no way to like call and say, "Mr. Boone, can I come next Thursday to your house to paint your picture?" <laughs> and a painting session would take days or even weeks, you know, because they're literally having the guy set there and they're they're painting him. And so this guy travels from the northeast, hoping that Boone is still alive, and goes and goes to Boone's neighbor who lived within a mile of him and says do you know where this Mr. Boone is? And the guy was like, yeah. 
I don't even know who you're talking about. Yeah. Wow. And he goes, he's an old man, and he looks like this. And he was like, oh, that guy? Yeah, he lives right down the road. Had I mean, no idea who he was. Yeah, and that was Daniel Boone. Mm. Crockett. So, you know, I would say Boone was more of an archetype folk hero, not so much a celebrity. Crockett knew of his fame, interacted with his fame, tried to capitalize on his fame, which I don't blame him for. I mean, it's like that's what people do. Uh, and he he did stuff like write books. And then what busted him for, for Renella is the, the Lion of the West play that was a Broadway play that was in Europe as well. I mean, this is like major. Mm. And this is major American stuff too because this is one of the first major American theatrical theatrical productions that went global and it's called Lion of the West key character is Nimrod Wildfire who is 100% Davy Crockett Crockett's alive Crockett's like in his 30s and and everybody knows Nimrod Wildfire is Crockett and uh and Crockett they invite him to New York to go to the play that's what gets Steve mm-hmm. is he went because he went he went <laughs> he went to the play and when Nimrod Wildfire walked out onto the stage, Broadway production in New York, Nimrod Wildfire, the actor, stops, takes off his coonskin hat, and tips his hat to Crockett, who's sitting in the balcony. <laughs> and what does our boy Crockett do? He stands up and waves to the crowd. <laughs> Just like Brett Reeves would have done. Absolutely. <laughs> so this is my question. If Steve had hunted his entire life, mm-hmm. No one really knew who he was. Somebody heard a little something about him, and he found out in New York there was a play about him. You think he wouldn't have went and seen it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll ask him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it's it's so in in a soundbite, you would you could say Crockett was like vain compared to, and we'll hear other stuff. But I'm telling you, I think I I I, I think it's apples and oranges, different mm-hmm. times. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's a little overlap, but it was after, you know. That's what I was thinking. There was a huge difference between. I mean, when Daniel Boone was in his 30s and when David Crockett was in his 30s. And 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 I'm not picking on Steve Rinella in this in this segment, but what would Crockett have today if he were here? What what would he do? Oh, He'd be Instagramming. He'd have a television yeah. show. TikTok. He'd be mm-hmm. on Instagram. I mean, just like me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. You so have it's a hat, like, just like yours. He'd have a he'd have a hat, just like me. And he'd be looking for a good dog. But he only had one walker dog, Michael. Oh, that's it? Mm-hmm. That's he would have treed two hundred. There it is. Uh, that was a shortcoming. No, yeah. did, did you pick up on that in, in the in the bear hunting story when they were in the in the cracks? I didn't hear anything about a walker dog. Well, and he didn't say walker, see? You boys, you got to turn on your listening ears. Um, he said that it was at night, and he said there was one white dog right. that he could see. Yeah. Oh, so okay. that, I mean, wow. if there was one white one, that means the rest of them were dark. Yeah. Mm. So that it had to have been a walker, you know, yeah. some type of walker dog. They yeah. like to bob their tails. Some kind of English foxhound, more than likely. Yeah. Back yeah. Then. yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have been a straight-up walker because it really probably wasn't even hardly made by then. Walkers? No, well, I mean they come mid nineteenth century. The yeah, actual the, the breed, straight up, yeah, 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 yeah actual yeah. treeing walker breed, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Hmm. Crockett said, and and we're gonna learn about this on the next episode. I don't know why I'm telling you now, 
but uh, they like to bob the tails of their bear dogs. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Especially hunting in the hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. Because the briars are going to mm. whip it to pieces. Yeah. yeah. We didn't have a squirrel dog that tail wasn't bobbed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really just aesthetics. Well, it gives it's a little less to grab a hold to by a bear also. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. But today you won't find houndsmen bobbing tails. Out west they do sometimes because their tails are yep. hitting cactus and stuff. Yeah, I've yeah. seen a lot of beagles with bobbed tails. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, because they beat them to death in the briars. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Michael, what stood out to you? I wanted to see him slide down that honey locust and not get a scratch. That's what I wanted. That was more impressive than leaping the Ohio. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he might make the Ohio. He's not going to make it down that honey locust without a scratch. <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, I don't guess what I've read, there hadn't been a whole lot about the bear hunting stuff. Uh, most of what you read covers his childhood and then on into that. It, it, it calls him a hunter but it doesn't really go into depths on yeah. the, on the bear hunting stuff. Uh, I thought it was pretty neat about them being in those hurricane or the earth earthquake cracks. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, but you know he was just a guy doing what everyone else did. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just like we always said about Boone, he was just it, he he wouldn't have even known. I mean, could you imagine going through your entire life thinking you were doing what everyone else was doing and look up and they had a play about you? Yeah. You know, so. Although he did. Was the play before or after the politics? It was. Before, wasn't it? No, because the politics are what made him known. Okay. The the play was in the 1830s and he got into politics in the early 1820s. So politics is what took him to the national stage. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the only reason he would have had... even a voice for people to know who he was. And then he started in his political speeches. He started talking about hunting and we're going to, we'll get into it a lot more, but basically on his first political speech, he said he got up before the crowd and his opponent, they used to travel together with their opponents. (laughs) And, and he said his opponent spoke and was this like diplomatic, you know, just like political speech. And Crockett had his political speech formed and he got up and he said, he describes it really well. He said, I felt like there was a cotton, there was cotton growing in my throat and I couldn't get a word out for any give some funny anecdote. And he said, I was so choked up, I thought I was going to cry. And he said, and all I know to do was start telling them a hunt. Uh, basically, he told them a hunting huh. story. Yeah. And the people loved it. Like they, they thought the other guy was a dork and that Crockett was cool. <laughs> and Crockett was like, oh, I see how this works. And so he just got up in front of people and talked about hunting, made fun of his opposition, was self-deprecating. Stole their speech. Stole, Yep, stole their speech. Really? He was just Yeah, fun. before the guy went on stage, oh he gave gosh. his speech. Oh gave gosh. the other guy's speech. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, we're going to get into all that later. Oh, I, I did want to say one thing about you, though. Deciduous. Forest. Deciduous. Yeah. Never... In the history of Hillbilly, has there ever been one say that? So every time you say it, it takes your credibility down just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? I mean, they just don't say it. They just say the woods, man. The hard woods, whatever. Did I say deciduous on this podcast? Yes, you did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you did. And I, when you said <laughs> and it, and the render too. Yeah. Deciduous, one of my favorite words. Never (laughs) in the history of Hillbilly Dumb. Has there ever been one say that? <laughs> Hillbilly Dumb. 
<laughs> I just wanted to warn you. Uh, okay, well, that's that's good to know. Good to know. I know you like your hillbilly cred, so uh, <laughs> like he's faking it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you hear what he said? Straight up. I figured poser. I said it wrong. Nope. Every time I do a podcast, Misty's like, Clay, you said that totally wrong. <laughs> yeah. Sounds I like started my wife. just skipping words that I don't yeah. know and just putting in new words. <laughs> yeah. Um no, this has been a fun, fun series. We've got we got three more boom yeah, or that's good, podcast. Man. That's good. Uh, you, see, you I, did it too. I don't even know who this you guy is. I don't even know who this guy is. Um yeah, Wallace biography is 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 really good. That's it's my favorite. Um R. Scott Williams is is really good too. He takes a little bit his angle is is a little more narrow, which is unique in that he was really interested in Crockett's celebrity status mm. because R. Scott Williams, super neat guy, mm-hmm. incredible guy. Um, he he is the lead man at the uh, Discovery Park Museum in Union City, Tennessee. Oh, okay. Which is an incredible place. Union City, Tennessee is this little it's small town, like 10,000 people, and they have a world-class natural history American museum in that town that there was some rich guy that lived in that town that had an enormous amount of money and he said i want to build a museum here and it's totally worth it if you're in that part of the world to go there by yourself or take your kids they got a big they got a big crockett section but our scott williams really really cool guy so his book is good too i know they i know there's literally a saying about not judging a book by its cover but it's got a pretty cool cover it's got crockett uh Wearing a pair of cool shades. Got a pair of Ray Bans. <laughs> yeah. Got a pair of Ray Bans on. Yeah. Looking yeah. pretty sporty. America's first celebrity. Hey, I got a question here. Everybody in here that had a coonskin cap growing up, raise their hand. Mm, you didn't have one? I, that's a good question. There's Whoa. five of us in here, and only two of us did. Huh. I would have assumed you and Michael would have had one growing up. You were just. Trying to put me on the outside. No, I huh? was. I was going to. I, I thought I, it was going to be a four to one for sure, though. Yeah, I did too. I, I may have had one. I don't want to lie and say I did. I, it, it wasn't prominent. Well, you're the only grown up <laughs> that I know that has any right now. <laughs> but uh, as a kid, I was just wondering. And it was it was it it was because of that. Well, you just said it because it's now you Ben, your hat would have had probably a real tail, but a fake. Top. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. Precisely. What about yours, Brent? Yeah, it was wherever. I mean, it came with a flintlock rifle and a flintlock r- pistol. I was in Missouri last year and I saw a double coontail hat <laughs> for the same price as a single coontail. I'm serious. No in brainer. the gas station in central Missouri, walk in there and there's a rack full of Daniel Boone. They they market quite a bit with Boone on the coonskin hats that, these days. So interesting. Usually it's so... Daniel Boone, but there was a rack of Daniel Boone coonskin caps, and they're they're faux, like they're faux fur on top, but they actually are real coontails because the coontail and the actual fur market is not valuable. Like when they they are making fur garments out of coon hides, and so but they don't use the tail; they just use the prime parts of the hide today. Mm-hmm. And so the tails they sell to make kids hats, but they use faux fur. Anyway, there was this hat, and it had double coontails coming off the side, mm. and it was like twelve ninety nine. And then I was like, "Oh, dude, if that's twelve ninety nine, the single coontail is probably like six ninety nine." 
and it was twelve ninety nine too. Wow. <laughs> it would have been a really unique experiment to send a kid in there and say, pick out which coonskin hat you want. <laughs> you want the one with the two tails or the one tail? Double Thank you guys barrel. for coming up here today. Really appreciate yeah. it. Good stuff. Looking forward to the next three episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Life changing. It's going to be good. Going to be good. Maybe one day we'll sell these hats on themediator.com. Why? Just get some more. Just get some more. Can't be I got a freezer it. full of coon hides out there. Can you make one a little bigger? Maybe for you. Special. <laughs> Made to order. Adjustable. <laughs> All right, That's guys. Good. good stuff. Awesome. Take care. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order.